you imagine a driver on a car on a busy, you know, urban street, rain and lots of glare and lights and things. If you see this pattern of light strobing very specifically, it becomes absolutely obvious. So um, I've actually had people, like multiple people, actually stop me on my ride and say, what are those lights? This episode of the Ben and Bikes podcast is brought to you by Dr. Squatch Natural Soap for Men. Let's face it, chaps, after a long day in the saddle, we stink. Now you can upgrade your shower game with Dr. Squatch Natural Soap. You want to smell like the forest? There's pine tar. You want to smell like the sea? There's nautical sage. And if you want to smell like you just got off a boat in the Caribbean, there's bay rum. Visit drsquatch.com. That's D-R-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H.com for more detail. And now to this week's episode of Ben and Bikes. You're listening to Ben and Bikes with your host, Ben Lockett. This podcast is about bikes, but more about the people who ride them and their stories, and less about frame size, shock technology, or even the Tour de France. This is Ben and Bikes, where every bike tells a story. Every now and then, I am contacted by members of the cycling industry who want to be on the Ben and Bikes podcast. As loyal listeners will know, I talk with people who have a bike-related story to tell and not just a product to promote. And so I'm somewhat selective about which of these industry insiders I agree to talk with. A recent example of this uh, would be when I spoke with Josh Clay from Orange Mud, who was the subject of episode 38, Risk and Reward, available always at benandbikes.com. Today I am joined by someone who was one of that elite group of American road cyclists from the 70s and 80s in the time of Team USA's entry into European racing, the famous 7-Eleven racing team, uh, Schwinn Racing, and the Red Zinger, which then went on to become the Course Classic and sort of, by default, the now half-diluted Colorado Classic. Thomas Prenn has been involved with cycling since he took up the sport in the early 70s. And over the course of a long career as an amateur and professional cyclist, he won the 1986 U.S. Pro Road Championship and is one of the few cyclists to have competed in and finished all 13 editions of the previously mentioned Red Zinger Course Classic. He's a published author and inventor of the somewhat famous aero cycling helmets, which we should talk about later on. <laughs> Scroll forward to 2018 and Thomas has entrenched himself in the athletic industry with stints at Nike, consumer and market research, rising to the president of Katai America. And now he has formed Arsenal Cycling, focusing on technology to keep cyclists safe on the road, where he's developed a bleeding edge bike-like solution that would make Alex Blumenberg the Urban Bike Ninja, episode 39. I hope you're listening, Alex. Very, very happy with his commute in Spain. You can learn more about all of this by visiting arsenalcycling.com. But with that being said, we have the founder, as I said, uh, of Arsenal Cycling, Thomas Pren. Welcome to the Bannon Bikes podcast. Delighted to be here. 
Thomas, I hope I got all of that correct. Well, I, well one thing, actually. Yes. I, the, There's the, always one thing. I try one, so hard. Okay. <laughs> were... I, I actually didn't ride the last re- uh, course classic. Okay. So only 12 of the 13. Uh, 12 of the 13, yeah. It, it's still pretty impressive. Uh, it was. I, it was by chance, too, that I even made the first one. So, <laughs> yeah. What was the chance? How did that uh, I, I was actually at uh, in San Jose trying to make the Junior World Cycling Team. Mm. And uh, the coach at the time decided he was only going to take one road rider. I was actually the next best guy there. Right. And uh, so I was flying home and I saw, oh, look, there's this race just outside of Denver and right. I had a, a flight through Denver and I got off the plane and took a bus up to Boulder and was in the first actually junior the first year they only had a junior race the first year and that's how I got to be the first uh, ride the first year very cool yeah um, I have to ask as a massive Arsenal football club fan, yes why um, the name <laughs> why the name Arsenal cycling so uh, so I have decided that um, I wanted to create a brand all about um, arsenal of products to keep you safe. Okay. The original arsenal was a uh, was actually um, uh, actually uh, uh, out of Venice, Italy. It was actually where they stored all the cannons, and right. it was. And so that's actually where the lighthouse too, and that's actually where some of the logo comes from. So mm-hmm. while I love Arsenal, the football team, indeed, you should. I, I know. Good choice. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's that's where the name comes from, Arsenal. Okay. Uh, so Arsenal Cycling. So it's yeah. Arsenal to keep you safe. First product to, to keep you safe, I have a whole bunch more in the works. Okay, very good. Uh, you should also know that the reason why Arsenal Football Club is called Arsenal Football Club is because it was started by members of the Royal Artillery uh, oh, who also well, had have. an Arsenal. So I, I knew there, there was a cannon in their logo. So Definitely yeah, the, yeah. a cannon in, in their logo. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Um, you asked me to ask it, so I'm going to ask you, Thomas, uh, one unusual thing that people don't know about you. Uh, so, uh, I, I was the first person in the United States to actually have an aerodynamic helmet. Oh, no kidding. Yes. Uh, crazy sort of thing. And, and it's, I, I, I kind of even forgot all about it until I was scrolling through some old photographs. Uh, and, um, it was one of those things I was racing for the national team. I was living in Colorado Springs at the Olympic training center. And, um, uh, the Eastern Europeans had these aero helmets and I thought, man, this is really great. This is before you had to wear helmets or helmets were anything more than a, you know, leather hairnet. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I just, I, I wanted one and, um, this, uh, a rider Brent Emery had two of these ones and he wouldn't sell me one. And I was like pissed off at that. So I said, well, can I just borrow it for like, you know, a couple of weeks. And from that, I made my own helmet and um, had it manufactured here in Denver. And I was racing off in Europe the entire time. I had someone just running to the post office box and filling out orders. The Soviet team ended up having, I don't know where they even got them from, but huh. they, they bought them. I, I sold about, um, about 5,000 helmets. I got back the next, at the end of the year and I, you know, from racing, I thought, oh, great. And I went back to the manufacturer and they said, well, where's your liability insurance? And that was back when they were ripping, you know, swing sets out of play playgrounds because of liability concerns. Yeah, so no that doubt. was the end of the end of my first company. Um, you had kindly shared with me a photograph of the Russian, of a Russian yeah. racer, yes. uh, wearing one of said helmets. <laughs> yeah. Cause, Soviet, cause, Soviet. I don't know that where he was from. I think he, he, he could have been from someplace that's actually now no longer was, Russia. Uzbekistan or exactly, Afga- yeah. some, some, <laughs> one of the stands or one <laughs> yeah. of those, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, 
as my introduction uh, indicated, you were part of you know very much the formative years, right? Of yeah. American road cycling, entry into Europe, all of that whole scene. So, what do you remember of the of those times? It, it was absolutely remarkable, and yeah. and I was just I was lucky I got on the team that first year to go, and um I, and it was just, it was actually through a bizarre accident where Dale Stetton crashed. Dale Stetton, the coach Mike Neal, and I all crashed in a training sprint. Mm. And Dale got concerned that his knee was bothering him. He didn't want to go. This is Schwinn. No, this is the national team. Okay, this is the national team. Oh, we were out, team, we were in, right? in Colorado Springs training, okay. coming back from a training ride. We were doing a sprint into a town sign, and mm. we like four of us crashed. Um, and I the the camp ended. I went back. To, I went to Florida to start my training for the rest of the season. I got a coach from a call from Butch Martin and said, "Hey, can you be at JFK in a week?" And I said, "Hell yeah!" And uh, so I, I I was a member of the first in modern history first U.S. team, first U.S. national team to go back representing the United States in Europe. And yeah. it was, I mean, we were like, I, I mean, we could not have been more out of place. You know, I mean, I, I know the 7-Eleven team talks about how the first time they were in the Tour de France and getting in there. Right. And and this was even – this is before that. So this was, you know, 78 and this is really early on. Um, but it was fantastic. I mean, I, I, I was in the under-21 jersey for um, the milk race for I think about seven days I until the milk race. I got a flat tire um, about three miles from the finish of the race. And I, you know, changed it and there was, there was no way I could catch back on it. I finished. I forget where I finished. I think top ten. So oh, yeah, still pretty impressive. Yeah, it was great for you know first year out yeah. there. You know, so it's interesting. That you say the U.S. team was the team was racing as USA. Yeah, as we opposed were. to Team Sky or right. one of the right. Star or one of those guys. And then that was back in the days when it was very distinct. You had amateurs and you had professionals. So we yeah. were all amateurs and we were racing oh. the amateur events. We were doing some pro am races as well too. But right. yeah, it was a um, it, it was. Um, yeah, it was just a great experience. And George Mount was there and, and, and he was a great rider and he, he actually won, um, the, the Sedamana Bergamasca, which they still race today. Mm. And, you know, we, we just, after a while, they started to realize, oh, we're serious. And, you know, you're, you're getting pushed out of, you know, echelons and stuff. And then you just work your way in and you, you end yeah. up, you know, in the pack. So, yeah. Was it, was it pretty dirty racing? Um, uh, there was some dirty racing. Um, I, I actually saw dirtier racing in North America, quite frankly, <laughs> doing the, uh, last, uh, what was it? The, uh, Tour of Baja uh, when the Soviets were fighting against the Cubans. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and, and like literally you would finish the sprint and guys would be off their bikes swinging their bikes at each other. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That sounds like another reference to uh, to the conversation that I had with Alex Boomenberg about being a bike yes. ninja. Yeah, yeah. I can, remember that one. Yeah. You can use your bike, bike a, as, a, as a weapon, right? If all else fails. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, you've been you've been riding a, a long time. Yeah. Um, what drives that passion? What What do you find most exciting about riding a bike? You know, it was interesting. I before I was a cyclist, I was a swimmer, mm -hmm. and um, I. Um, the first race I ever did as a as a you know citizen race, mm. I was immediately enthralled by the tactics. Mm. I loved that. I, I I realized there was it made a difference if you were going into the corner first or second or third, and it made a difference you know where you were in the pack, and it just it 
instantly it clicked. Mm. I just, I, I got it and I just was so fascinated by it. I, I just wanted to race. Mm. And, and I was, um, you know, at the time I was like going towards like, you know, a scholarship in swimming, you know, back in high school. And I like literally dropped everything and just, just started racing bikes. What bikes were you racing in those days? Oh, God. The Schwinn, I think. was. Well, I, Schwinn was later. So before yeah. that, I mean, I was, I rode for Georgetown Cycle Sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they still have actually National Capital Velo Club. I'm actually a lifetime member of National Capital Velo Club. So what is that? I don't know. Uh, it's the, out of Washington, D.C. Okay. And, um, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, so yeah, uh, you know, s- several teams. Um, and then, uh, I went to, um, and then I, I got, got, became a member of the national team when I went over to Europe that first time. And I was on the national team for about like 12 years. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, easy, maybe comparison here, but compare what you know about, you know, what racing in the seventies and eighties to professional cycling today. You know, um, the, the top riders make a whole hell of a lot more money than we did. Bad. You know, bad. um, but, um, uh, I, you know, it was, it, it, it was just a, you know, it was a, it was an era of evolving sport and so much was going and changing. I mean, you know, I, I absolutely loved the races that we did. I mean, we did these, um, wheat thin series races. There wheat were thin. like wheat, wheat thins. Wheat thin? Wheat thins. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we, we, um, I mean, they were fantastic. You would go and you'd race like, New York one day, uh-huh. and then you'd race Boston the next day. Uh-huh. And then you would race, uh, let's say, uh, Milwaukee the next weekend and Chicago the, the next day. So th- they would have these ra- – they would put these two races close together so that you could drive from one to another. And you'd fly out without a bike because our, our team had the on-the-road bike. Sure. You know, get there Friday night, do a little ride, race Saturday, race Sunday, fly home. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know – and back then it was great. I mean, our team – the Schwinn Icy Hot at the time. I mean, we would easily walk away with, you know, three thousand dollars cash each okay. every weekend. Huh. You know. So it was fantastic. And it was a uh, I forget how long the series went, but it was but it was all based on the whole national point series was based on dollars. So if there was a five hundred dollar preem, it was five hundred points. You know, so it's like you could go out and actually do really well just winning a bunch of preems. Right. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I didn't know there was that much money in those days. Uh, it was actually great. It was yeah. great money. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, the contracts weren't that great, but you know, it was enough to pay your rent and buy some so. beers and yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of of professional racing, uh, you know, it was announced yesterday. Yeah, that the Colorado Classic is coming back next year, but without a men's race, right? And just a four day ladies race. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I. I have to, uh, I have to give props to Ken Gart and his crew for being creative. Yep. I talked with him about a week or so ago, and uh, he said, you know, some things were in the works, but he couldn't talk about them yet. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's great. I mean, I, 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 it's a shame that it's another, you know, there's another men's race that isn't on the calendar again. I, that's unfortunate, and that's a really tough challenge. And yep. I, you know. USA Cycling, you know, it's not necessarily all their fault, but or not their fault, but I say all their responsibility. But you know, some things have definitely got to change. I mean, I I I saw some photos on Facebook that were kind of interesting, where you saw <laughs> there was a Criterium in North Carolina, and the photo was from like '82, mm-hmm. and then there was a photo from today, and mm-hmm. when the Criterium happened, or actually in the spring, and it was like 
you know, there, there were a thousand people on the sidelines at least. And today they're 20. So there's a whole issue of, you know, what are we doing to actually promote racing in yeah. the United States? But I, I, you know, something I think it's actually, I think it's great that there's this, this, it's going to be a woman's race. It's going to be serious. Um, I think it's, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, again, it's too bad that it's not a full on men's and women's, but at least they're keeping it going. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. My, I mean, my take on it was they gave it their best shot. Right. Um, they saved it from the ashes of yes. what was the previous race. Right. Um, hats off to Ken and co for, for getting that. Right. But you have to learn to adapt. Right. Uh, and in a, an in industry that has singularly failed to adapt <laughs> yeah. in many areas. Yeah. Uh, I, I also applaud Ken and co for, for getting yeah. this and continuing. So, yeah. uh, it's great. Yeah. We still have a bike race. It's we do. It's just yeah. women's race. So that's yeah. fantastic. Sorry. And when I say just, I don't mean just a women's race. Right. Yeah. I think it's great that there is a women's race. Right. I'm taking a break from the Ben and Bikes podcast to tell you more about Dr. Squatch Natural Soap for Men. Made with natural ingredients from the earth like oils, plants, goat's milk, Greek yogurt, and oatmeal. Turn your post-ride shower game up to 11 and get ready to get out of the shower feeling alive. Ship straight to your door, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. And if you sign up for monthly automatic soap delivery, you'll get free shipping on all orders. Visit drsquatch.com, that's D-R-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H.com for more details. And now back to this week's podcast. On another note, uh, it would be remiss of me to uh, to not uh, mention in this podcast the untimely passing of Paul Sherwin um, yeah. of late. Um, Paul Sherwin, uh, for those of you who don't know, and it'd be unlikely that you didn't, but was uh, one of the voices of uh, that I remember from the Tour de France, um, and certainly from professional racing. Great guy. Um, and unfortunately, he uh, he passed uh, way way too early. Yeah, uh, I wonder if you had had any interactions with I, Paul over the I, years. I, we we did a few races together. He went on to race pro, sort of back when we were still all racing amateurs. So right. I, I think I did a, a couple of races with him, but that's yeah. but not much. So yeah. well, certainly our condolences to uh, to Paul's family and and all his friends uh, who uh, who are related to that. Uh, he will be sorely missed. So. Um, you live in Boulder. Yes. Uh, home of the Uber cyclist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, are you still out there with the best of Boulder riding a bike? Uh, trying to, yeah. <laughs> yeah? yeah. You ride competitively in any way? Uh, you know, this is the first season I haven't done cyclocross. Oh, yeah. With my business launch and sort of getting things going, I just I decided this year I'm not going to get stressed out about trying to do cyclocross. Yeah. So, but that's all I do, cyclocross. I, I, I love it. It's so much fun. Um, it's intense. Right. And, and then you're done. Okay. So. Well, speaking speaking of your business. Yes. I'd love to learn more about the of, of your new lights that you have. Yeah. The synchronized lights. It would be great to learn about that. So let me tell you the story about it because it was really that. interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm a photographer too. Oh. I was out uh, filming some riders. Uh, it was a, a rainy uh, evening, uh, there are riders on this, uh, you know, pretty busy commute route. Yep. There's a guy riding down the road with one flashing light. There's another guy riding down the road with three flashing lights. He had At a the back. It, yeah. Behind. He had a helmet light. He had a mm. one on his bag and he had one on his bike and I'm filming these guys. Uh, and the guy with the three lights, you figure, well, he's going to be more visible. Mm. 
And I'm filming this and I'm looking back at it later and I'm thinking, the guy's not more visible. This mm. doesn't make any sense. Mm. I happened to be on a ride with a friend of mine who's military, ex-military. And I was telling him the story and he said, oh, the lights are flashing randomly. And I'm like, yeah. He says, well, that makes perfect sense. In the military, we call this camouflage. And I'm like, well, I want the opposite of camouflage. What is the opposite of camouflage? And that's actually synchronized lights. So think of a radio tower with multiple lights that strobe at the same time. Yep. They do that so a pilot understands object in space and also the way they spread those lights out. The pilot instinctively knows exactly how fast they're closing in on that tower. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're designed that way. Mm. It's There's a whole uh, science of uh, what I call human motion perception. We have through millions of years of evolution, have the ability to track patterns in chaos. Mm. So you imagine a driver on a car on a busy, you know, urban street, rain and lots of glare and lights and things. If you see this pattern of light strobing very specifically, it becomes absolutely obvious. So um, I've actually had people, <laughs> like multiple people, actually stop me on my ride and say, what are those lights? I don't need like a guy even pulled on 36 north of Boulder actually pulled over on his pickup truck. He's not even a cyclist. He's like, I don't know what lights you have, but those things are really, really visible. Right. So he he didn't even understand what he was seeing, but he just realized that they were very visible, which is what you want, right? You want that. You, you want, want them to see the lights, and you want to understand. They you want them to understand. You know who you you know that you're something that they don't even. And, and the way I've designed lights, they don't even have to – we don't have to teach them anything. They just instinctively know how fast they're closing in on you as a cyclist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how long have the, these taken you to get them to market? Uh, it's been about two years. Okay. Um, and it's it's been uh, – I had a successful Kickstarter, raised $21,000. Nice. Um, uh, and uh, I, I did everything wrong. I launched it at the wrong time. I, you know, I, I rushed it out and everything else. But, but it's it's been out there. Um, the people who are my users, they love them. Um, I'm just now starting to get them into retail. Okay. So um, they, I've got a distributor who's going to be carrying them, and so we're kind of off to the races. But it's definitely been sort of a bleeding edge of technology because as we launched it and you know work with all the engineering behind it then uh i i had to uh you know make a little change you change a component you got to go back and get a new fcc license because it's a wireless technology you need an fcc license huh. yeah. which probably takes longer than you'd think well it takes a while and you know you just it's just you know you make another change and oh back to go get another fcc license so uh led lights led lights yeah so yeah. uh i i'm now these have all been turned on within oh, an hour yeah so, so um thomas has just turned on one so light just, and they so, all turned on yeah so i should probably explain what i'm looking at right here so i have four of these lights and i'll put pictures on the uh, ben and bikes website or you can go to arsenalcycling.com to see this um but Four individual uh, lights. Uh, Thomas has just turned one on, and all three are flat. All, all four are now flashing in unison. In unison, right? Right. Just as he said, just yeah. like a radio antenna. Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, uh, so how this works is that it's a wireless network. It's yep. very much like Bluetooth. Yeah. But uh, I'll, I'll turn it this way so I don't blind you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you change one, and they all change. That's incredible. And it's also designed so that any one of them can be the master. Yeah. So uh, if you're riding along, and um, for example, you 
are at the back of a group, you want a really bright light. But if you're in the front, yeah. it's, people are behind you, you don't, they don't want to be looking at three lights strobing them. So you can actually control it and actually turn it to like a, a low strobe. That's incredible. Yeah. And then, you know, when you're back at the back, you switch it again and you, you're, you know. Are they three red lights and one white light or will they all do all colors? No, there are, they're specifically designed either white or red. I see. So I have, uh, and, and the way I sell it, the optimal package is actually a set of four. Yeah. Um, and the way the technology works, which is great, there's no app. You don't need an app for this thing. So you, there's no apps that have to be updated. And, you know, apps can be like a real, uh, they can kill you if you're not yeah, careful. But totally. um, so I package it as um, a set of two, three, or four. And uh, there's either th- two taillights, three taillights, two taillights and headlight. Or three taillights and one headlight. So it's you, you can sort of design. And and the way this design is is that if you bought two and then you wanted to buy another two, you could easily sync sync them together. So very you, simple process. Are you an electrical engineer of no. any kind? So how did you get? How did you come I up with all of that? You just work hard. <laughs> I mean, I the, you the, figured it out. I figured it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have some good engineers I work with. So yeah, right. Yeah. Um, where where did you get the engineering done or that, that sort of thing? Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much. So. Okay, very good. No yeah. problem. <laughs> I, saw, I thought you went a bit quiet when I asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned getting this out, out to retailers. Yeah. So, where, so obviously, I assume you can go to arsenalcycling.com yeah. and purchase. There's an e-commerce platform. Should we create a coupon code for your – I think we should create a coupon code. Okay. What do we want to call it? Just call it Ben. But just Ben. Just okay. Ben. Yeah, and what, make it what easy. Kind of, what kind of discount do you want to give them? Uh, free would be good. No, can't be free. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> free is not a good business model. <laughs> no, no, no you tell me. Uh, uh, well, it's 20% we off. 20% off. So it's going to be Ben and it's going to be 20% off. So we're going to go to arsenalcycling.com forward slash Ben. Is no, you don't have to do that. Okay. When you check out. In you just check out, put box, in Ben. Type in Ben in the It's discount, a 20% discount. 20% discount to anyone who listens to the Ben. Yeah, the smart people who listen, who to, listen yeah. to the Ben and Bikes podcast. Yeah. That's very generous. Yeah. Uh, I will probably take up, take you up on that. Okay. Good deal. <laughs> um, very good. So um, how uh, are there any, you, you say you're getting them into retail? I'm just getting them into retail. I, I've got, um, I mean, it's just, boy, you know, the, the. The, the, if it was easy, everyone would do That's this. That's exactly right. <laughs> right. It's on my tombstone. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it is at right now, I can tell you it is at all of your favorite bike shops okay. on Pearl Street. Okay. Very good. And Rafa is not a bike shop. Okay. So it's on, it's at Vecchio's, it's at Full Cycle, and okay. it's at U Bikes. Okay. And it's also in Portland uh, at uh, River City. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Mark Eisenberg, if you are listening to this, uh, we would love to get <laughs> Thomas's products into Bike Source. Uh, oh, there we, you go. Yeah, we absolutely. Will, uh, we'll talk to you. Yeah. I'll talk to you about that one. Yeah. Uh, it's unlikely that Mark is listening to this podcast, yeah. but I will give him a shout. Okay. I think it's a fascinating idea. It is. I, you know, my whole intention is to make riders safer on the road. Yeah. So it, this is the first product. I have a incredible headlight. I can't show or anyone because I have a patent on this. Huh. I can't get a patent on the headlight. Okay. 
And uh, I mean, I think once everyone sees it, they're going to go like, oh, my God, why didn't other people think about that? Yeah. You know, the, the, one of the things that drove me on, on all of this is that um, – and I, I work for CatEye for, you know, forever. Yeah. And I mean, they're a great company. They've got some problems now for sure. Um, but, you know, really nice people. Um, so, I was very frustrated because – Lighting technology has evolved so much, particularly in the past like 10 years. I mean, we can now create lights to blind people. I mean, it's easy. You can go out. I don't know if it's happened to you, but it's happened to me where I've been on a bike, you know, bike path and someone's blind. I literally turned around, chased people down and said, what are the lumens on that? Because that's too bright. Way too bright. Yeah. Yeah, Right. I've absolutely been in that situation. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, uh, when you look at, for example, the original, original, flashlights from the i think they were in the 1920s oh. or 10s okay 20s. they're very old uh. the, the the design's the same as it's been always a battery pack you know power source a bulb a reflector and a lens That's and right. it's like yet the technology has changed so much so headlights are designed the exact same way they've been for you know a hundred more than a hundred years. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, when people see my new headlight, it's going to be like, oh, that's completely different. Yeah. So I think what I love about this idea, though, is that uh, you've got lights at foot level, right? You've got lights at seat level, right? And you've got a light at helmet level, exactly. As opposed to the normal light, which pretty much has a light at seat level. Yeah, and so when you think about it too, um, and that, that's why when people see this actually on the road, um, I had I had one person who actually uh, came up to me at uh, Ragbride, said, "Oh my God, I've been looking for your lights. I've been looking for your lights. I actually chased someone down when I saw your lights on the road." And this okay. is someone lady in Grand Junction, right? Because she immediately understood that these were much better. When you have one light strobing by itself, yeah, there's no point of reference. Yeah, so. It could um, be. It, it, there's no point of reference. Absolutely. So, so, so my my sort of advice for people who, for whatever reason, until they can get their Arsenal cycling lights, if you have multiple lights, you know, put them on the same strobe so that probably hyper flash mode, which by the way is not the best mode to use. Actually, the slower pulse mode is actually a better mode for it's much more obvious. But at least that way, you're not creating camouflage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but the point of reference is not just from a distance perspective yeah it's also from a vertical exactly right correct so you know where someone's head is right if you see three lights you as a cyclist yeah i can see where their head is i can see where their butt is and i can see where their feet are right i can see the whole vertical perspective right. as well as the distance from and and when you when you're in a car or even a bike or whatever approaching that it just becomes really obvious yeah. of how fast you're actually approaching this right. it's just it is it is built into our, you know, our, our, our DNA that we understand how, you know, where we are with that. Right. Excellent. So, yeah. Well, um, thank you for coming here yeah. to talk to me today, Thomas. I appreciate it. I think you have a wonderful product. Just to remind everyone, arsenalcycling.com. Use the word Ben at checkout and you'll get a 20% discount. Absolutely. Um, and, um, I hope and wish you the best of yes. luck, Thomas. I think this is a wonderful product. Great. Well, uh, and I think it solves a real, real problem. Yeah. I, well, it's, I'm, I'm trying to, I've got a solution out there. So yeah, yeah. no doubt. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Ben and Bikes podcast. 
you'll find this and many other episodes about athletes, authors, filmmakers, and community organizers, all with a story to tell about bikes by visiting benandbikes.com. Thank you for listening. We'd sure appreciate it if you could rate and review the Ben and Bikes podcast wherever you listen. We appreciate your support, and thanks for helping us connect with other bike enthusiasts. If you have a bike story to tell, email us, ben at benandbikes.com.